hello and welcome to an extra episode of the extras uh extra extras uh lachlan here joined by peter hello feeling very extra today yes we should have dressed extra for this i don't feel like i've dressed particularly extra listen to some mariah carey <laughs> Uh, but I'm glad to be here. In the last week or so, we have run some stretch events for church. Now, these are things that we run from time to time. We're trying to get it to a point of being every quarter across the year of church, where we want to stretch ourselves in our thinking, recognizing that you know there's always so much to know about God. He is infinite. He is eternal. We are finite and small. Uh, for eternity, we'll be learning more and more about who God is and how amazing he is. And so we think it's right and good to take some time to stretch our thinking and hopefully stretch our admiration of the Lord that we know and love. And so in recent times, Peter, you uh, tackled the task of stretching us in our thinking about a topic that comes up in the book of Hebrews. We've been studying on Sundays and in our growth groups. Uh, perseverance for Christians and running with endurance, this experience that someone might be walking in the Christian life and then walk away from Christ and no longer be claiming Christ? How do we understand that? What are all the different aspects of our thinking about God, our theology, that come into answering that kind of question? Um, do you want to say more about what you tackled on the stretch night, kind of a bit of a preview of this episode? Sure. That was our that was the brief. So we're trying to stretch our thinking and i really love how you put that so we can stretch our admiration of god because mm. these things go together the more mm. we know him the more we love him mm. really, those things really go on hand in hand um so yeah we we started i suppose from our uh reading of hebrews and the sense that um there are parts of hebrews that seem to encourage us and we can be very confident about our future and parts of hebrews that seem to say well there's lots of cause for concern as well. And so think about how do we put these things together and also how do we make sense of our experience that, as you say, some folks seem for a time to be running right alongside us and then to have just dropped out of the race, dropped away from Christian faith altogether. And we kind of really said, well, because we've got these different parts of the Bible that seem to be pushing in slightly different directions, what we need to do is we need to come up with a theological answer. Mm. So we talked about thinking through and between revealed truth, mm. so not stepping away from what God has revealed because that's the only source of truth that's worth anything, but thinking through those things very carefully, understanding the logic of the things God tells us in his word and thinking between them. How do these different parts or cohere together into one whole because of course god is one god and he's the god of truth there's not mm. contradiction in god and so we should understand that all the things that he says can be integrated they all kind of come together there's no contradiction in god and no contradiction in what he says so that's what we set out to do to do that kind of biblical and theological thinking about this important issue yeah, wonderful. And from all accounts, the people that went along, uh, we had something over 400 people across the three different events. Uh, everyone has that I've heard has raved about it and really appreciated the time there. Uh, if you weren't there, we're sorry that you missed it. Uh, we can't rehash the whole event. Uh, it wasn't kind of just straight lecture. It was interactive time of thinking and growing and reflecting yourself. So make sure you come to future stretch events. 
but there were some questions that lingered beyond the event and we wanted to have an episode of the extras uh, that I think became promised on the night. Uh, That's right. And so we want to live to our promise and be true to our word, like God is true to his. Um, and we'll just tackle some of those questions. It won't be all of them. We, we can't exhaustively answer everything that came through. In the show notes of this episode, we'll point you to some resources that can help you to keep thinking through these issues if you've got ongoing questions. Uh, and, you know, we might find other ways to pick up this conversation down the track. But Peter, let's get in with some of these questions. I guess there's one of the big topics that came up in thinking about the passages in Hebrews and thinking about these issues. We had a category come up uh, of God's election and elect people, those whom God chose before the foundation of the world in the language of Ephesians uh, to be his and to be adopted as his children. Now, a bunch of questions around election, predestination, free will. Uh, let's start off with the first one that I think is a helpful introduction. How would you explain predestination in layman's terms? So you're talking to someone who might not be a Christian. How would you tell them what predestination is? Yeah, well, uh, it's a good question. Predestination uh, is really just about God deciding in advance what will become of us. Deciding our destination Mm. Pre, yeah, um, and so in Ephesians chapter one it talks about God deciding in advance that we will become His adopted children. So God decides what will become of us. Mm. Predestination. Mm. Uh, so in light of that kind of reality that the Bible seems to speak to, um, you know, what does that do for free will? If everything, so here's the question that someone's asked: If everything is God's work, put technically in brackets to that. Uh, is there really free will for us as humans? Um, it's an interesting question, and it's one that's never far away when mm. we're talking about these things. Um, perhaps we should say a couple of things, you know, before kind of delving right into it. Uh, one is just to, we should ask the question, uh, where do our ideas about free will come from? Mm. Is, that a, uh, is that a biblical category? Is that something that the Bible insists on? If it does, in what form does it insist on? Uh, does it come from somewhere else? Are we getting this from uh, philosophy or have we kind of distilled it out of the pop culture ether or something like that? Mm. So when we're asking about free will, it's just worth sort of saying, well, why is it, why is it so important to us? Mm. What are we thinking of mm. and why mm. are we so convinced there has to be something called free will? Where are we getting that idea mm. um, None of which is to say it's a bad idea, but just it's worth asking those questions. So is there truly free will? Uh, this is a question that uh, Christians have sp spent uh, a long time and many, many, many pages mm. uh, delving into. What you really want here is a, um, is a, is a reformed scholastic from the 17th century. He's going to have lots of categories for you. A reformed scholastic? That sounds scary. That's yeah. That's it. When he's got <laughs> uh, he's got two thousand pages of uh, careful categories to explain this to you. Um, let me say a couple of things as briefly as I can. Um, is there really free will? Well, in a sense, no. No, there's no free will because there's no part of creation that operates on its own, independent of God. Mm. So can part of creation uh, operate uh, free of God, independent of God's sovereignty? No, God is a sovereign creator. Um, is there free will in the sense that people 
uh, are given the choice and can choose uh, either to be saved or not to be saved, uh, well, again, no, not really is, is the Bible's answer. Um, Ephesians talks about us being dead in sin. So from the Bible's mm. perspective, we've got all the freedom of a corpse mm. when it comes to choosing God. Uh, sin impairs us so badly that left to ourselves, we will never choose to turn to God in faith any more than a corpse will choose mm. to get mm. up and walk. That's what dead in sin means. Mm. Uh, we're actually totally unfree. We have the freedom of a corpse. We're totally unfree until God frees us for faith. Uh, now, is there free will uh, in the sense that do we make real decisions uh, rather than just being kind of robots following our preordained tracks? Mm. Uh, well, yeah, there is free will. Okay, there's free will in the sense that when I choose, I'm really choosing. You know, I'm really exercising my decision-making capabilities uh, in making choices. I'm not being forced uh, mm. against my will when I make the little choices of life, uh, cornflakes or wheat for breakfast, and I'm not being forced against my will when I make the big choice, the one we're really interested in here, will I turn to Jesus mm. in faith? Uh I'm not being forced against my will. And what we talked about on the stretch night is that God actually uh, frees us to willingly, genuinely choose the good choice mm. to choose Christ in faith. Mm. Peter, you're wetting my appetite there. There's so much more that we could talk about here. But like we said, uh, we do just want to, give some quick answers here. And actually, if you go back two years uh, as a church, we covered Romans 9 to 11 just a couple of years back. And I think we did two extra long episodes of the extras mm. uh, answering all the questions about predestination that came up in those chapters of the Bible. Uh, it was reading Romans 9 for me that first brought me to an understanding of these truths about God. I kind of grew up in a Christian tradition that didn't think about God as sovereign in well, I'd say in much, let alone in matters of salvation. It was all about human responsibility and choosing God. And so there was a moment for me of having to realign my thinking uh, and it was going away and reading Romans 9 that really got me there. So helpful passage and there are some helpful resources that, like I say, will be in the show notes. That would be the extra to the extra to the extras, <laughs> right? So much extra. Um but Peter, on this topic, there's a question that I guess is a bit more of an application of these ideas. How can we live in faith without having this underlying fear that we're not chosen by God, that maybe we are, without knowing it, one of these apostate ones who will walk away or fall away? Mm. It's, a, it's a helpful question. It's one that many people uh, ask, uh, how do I know that I'm mm. one of the elect? Um, something I mentioned at one of the stretch events is, uh, you know, we ask this question and it's, that's fine. We can answer it and need to take it seriously. But it's just worth observing that nobody in the Bible seems to waste very much energy on wondering if they're elect or not. Mm. Um, so something about the Bible's teaching about election doesn't seem to push people to ask, well, what about me? Am I one? Mm. Um, now we're asking that and that's okay. We'll think about it. But it's worth saying that that's not necessarily where this line of thinking naturally leads, at least not in the biblical writings. 
Um, another thing to say is that the doctrine of election, uh, it doesn't take us long to get ourselves all wrapped around the axle and start worrying, oh, what if I'm not one of the elect? But you know, the 39 Articles of Religion, this is, a, uh, this is an Anglican um, doctrinal statement. We talk, we've talked about a bunch of these different theological statements from the past mm. in the course of this. They're very helpful sometimes. Yeah. Uh, and it, tool, it, calls, uh, it calls this a, a doctrine of, of unspeakable comfort. Mm. And so the doctrine of election is very, I think maybe it calls it comfortable. By which it means comforting. Yeah, um, yeah, it's supposed to comfort us because what's the alternative? The alternative to God's choice being the one that counts is that my choice is the one that counts, and so it's on me. Mm. Will I choose well? Perhaps today, but what about tomorrow? Mm. What kind of assurance is that? If I have any sense of how deep sin goes in me, my propensity for uh, self-delusion, self-destruction then the choice resting with me means there's very little comfort and assurance at all. If the choice rests in God, then it's a totally different ballgame. Having said all that, how do I know that I'm one of the ones God has chosen? Um, Again, uh, I spent a little bit of time on the stretch night um, following uh, along with some older thinkers. The encouragement that they give is not to uh, try to uh, understand what God has chosen. We don't actually have any access to the list of who God has chosen and hasn't. It's not something we can access. We don't look to ourselves. As I said, you know, if we look within, am I one of the elect? I'll find some things that say, oh, yeah, there's stuff that looks like faith there. And I'll find other things that say, well, this is as bad or worse as the day mm. you were converted. Mm. Uh, so there's plenty in me to speak both ways. No assurance mm. there. Uh let me read uh, again this little quote that I read, and uh, I just find it really helpful. Um, it says, talks about jumping off from the fact that the Bible talks about election being in Christ. So Ephesians 1 says, We were chosen in Him. It says, If we are elected in Him, we cannot find the certainty of our election in ourselves, and not even in God the Father, if we look at Him apart from the Son. That's what mm. we've just been talking about. We can't read God's mind and we don't look to ourselves. Where do we look? Christ, then, is the mirror in which we ought and in which, without deception, we may contemplate our election. For since it is into his body that the Father has decreed to engraft those from whom from eternity he wished to be his, that he may regard as sons all whom he, Christ, acknowledges to be his members, since God has chosen to bring about salvation by bringing people into Christ, if we are in communion with Christ, we have proof sufficiently clear and strong that we are written in the book of life. Mm. So the quote says, yeah, you can't read the book of life, but look at Christ. If you belong to him, and we know that we are part of the elect because the elect are in him, elected Mm. in him. now, we might have the question, well, how do I know that applies to me? How do I know that's any good for me? Uh, and I have a, just another quote here, uh, again, from the same author, and again, just one that I've found so helpful personally in thinking about these matters. Um, again, it's long and old-fashioned, but I like it a lot. It says, If we desire to know whether God cares for our salvation, let us inquire whether he has entrusted us to Christ whom he has established as the sole saviour of all his people. 
if we still doubt whether we have been received by Christ into his care and protection, what about me? Do I get to be part of that? Well, if we still doubt whether we've been received by Christ into his care and protection, he meets that doubt when he willingly offers himself as shepherd and declares that we shall be numbered among his flock if we hear his voice. Let us therefore embrace Christ, who is graciously offered to us and comes to meet us. Mm. Who is that from? This is by um, a, a French theologian called John Calvin. Yeah, okay. Okay. Okay, that's really helpful. And again, I want to say this is a question that in my past I have asked in all the existential angst that you can. Mm. You know, I think uh, not exclusively, but my experience has been that uh, this question is often asked by those who have grown up in Christian families and get to a point of wrestling with, have I actually chosen Christ? What am I doing here? Am I, am I really in? And that was the place that I was asking this from. Um, and it might be the coasty in me, but I think this is a sound biblical and theological answer as well. Uh, it just, like you're saying, took me back to go, look, look to Jesus and do that each day. You don't need to necessarily worry about 10 years down the track, 20 years down the track, because we don't know what God has in store for us, whether we have that many days left. And Jesus would say, each day has enough worry of its own. Mm. But today, in this moment, do I trust Christ? Will I trust Christ? If the answer is yes, then if I were to die today, I, I'll be with him for eternity. And that's that's what matters. Yeah, and, and, and I think it's so important to remember that that question is not... Uh, do I trust Christ? Like, is my faith big enough? Is my faith mm, real enough? Mm. But do I trust yeah. Christ? Yeah. Am I actually despairing of myself and just yeah. casting myself on him and saying, help me, Jesus? Yeah. No one else can. Yeah. If my trust is in him, I'm okay. Yeah, that's great. Uh, let's move on to some of these other questions about uh, Hebrews and falling away. So Hebrews 6, verse 4 to 6. Um, let me just find that passage in my Bible and read a little bit of it before we ask this question because that will be helpful for our listeners as well. Hebrews 6, 4-6 says, It's impossible to renew to repentance those who were once enlightened, who tasted the heavenly gift, who shared in the Holy Spirit, who tasted God's good word and the powers of the coming age, and who have fallen away. This is because to their own harm, they're re-crucifying the Son of God and holding him up to contempt. So what does that mean about the inability for Christians who fall away to get repentance? Why why does Hebrews say this if Christians can't fall away? Yeah, it's a brilliant question because uh, we, we started our exploration from the Bible and then we've gone on to say, well, we need to do some theological thinking. But the next move is always to come back to the Bible and to submit our thoughts that we've thunk theologically to what God says. Is that okay? Do they help us to make good sense of the Bible? Or actually, do they force us into kind of straining against the Bible? Mm. We have to kind of do a little bit of fancy footwork to get around mm. what the Bible says. So this is exactly the right thing to say. What about those warning passages in Hebrews? Uh, so it certainly sounds like they're talking about real questions there. And certainly it sounds like they're talking about really falling away. Mm. Uh, and um, why talk about that if that's not something that can happen? Um, I'll, I'll read uh, 
a little quote from uh, a guy called Tom Schreiner. He's a New Testament scholar, and he's spent a bunch of time thinking about this stuff. Uh, one of the resources in your show notes is uh, a little book that he's written. It's just looking at it now. It's about 120 pages, real short. Uh, it's called Run to Win the Prize, Perseverance in the New Testament. He kind of looks at all that stuff. Nice. Got a little quote from him. He says, look, I argue that these warnings in Hebrews are addressed to genuine believers. Right? So they're not talking about like fake almost mm. believers or something. No, real believers are addressed to genuine believers. Uh, the threat is eternal damnation and that it is illegitimate to conclude from the warnings that true believers may fall away. For the texts examined here are warnings and admonitions, not declarations. Right? So it's not mm. saying, oh, these people did fall away. It's a warning saying, don't fall away, which mm. is a very different thing. Mm. The warnings should be understood as the means by which true believers are preserved from apostasy. So why include it? So that what's being talked about never happens. Mm. So that God's chosen ones will hear this warning and heed this warning and won't fall foul of what they've been warned about. Mm. Yeah, great. That's really helpful. And looks like a sounds like a good book. Uh, so if you want to think more about these things, might be one to chase up and have a read of. And it's always nice when good books are short as well. Yeah. Um, another passage that's been asked about is Ephesians 1 verse 13. So uh, I think we referred a little bit to Ephesians 1 earlier. But in Ephesians 1 13, it says, In Christ you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed, were sealed in him with the promised Holy Spirit. That language of sealing sounds pretty secure. Mm. You know, it's kind of a down payment, verse 14 goes on to, promising the rest will come. Mm. So how does that relate to people that fall away? Yeah, yeah. So again, we have this language, this biblical language of real security, um, and that uh, that security ultimately goes back to God's choice uh, being the one that counts. Uh, so what about people who seem like they have believed, but then after a time, no longer continue. All right. Now, uh, what we do have is some help uh, here from other parts of the Bible. Uh, like For example, uh, the parable, uh, we have another question asking about this, the parable in Mark chapter 4, the parable of the sower, it's called, where the sower sows seed all around, and we're supposed to understand this as you know, the gospel being preached. And amidst all these different receptions, sometimes flat rejection, sometimes uh, great you know, harvest kind of comes up and it's lots of fruit. Sometimes uh, an initial kind of springing up, which is followed by a kind of dying away mm. after time. Um, now, I, I, I mentioned uh, on the nights that sometimes this is called temporary faith. Uh, the idea that people might temporarily have faith mm. and then cease. I think that's actually a pretty unhelpful way to describe it. Um, and I'm encouraging us to think of this as apparent faith. Mm. Right, so something that looks like faith, it appears that's apparently faith outwardly, um, but it is not the real deal inwardly. And part of the reason you know is because it doesn't endure. Mm. It doesn't go mm. on to uh, produce fruit more and more. It um, sparks up briefly, maybe has a, a quick little flourishing, and then it's gone. Mm. Quite different than, than the fourth soil, that mm. genuine, enduring faith. So there's growth in three of the soils in that parable, but clearly only one of them 
is the good response. So it's possible for there to be some kind of initial response, some kind of initial growth, which is not the kind of faith response Jesus is looking for. And we might call this apparent faith. And I think we can say securely that all of those confident um, assurances that the Bible um, describes, they apply to those uh, who put their faith in Jesus uh, and none of them apply to those who only apparently do so. Mm. Yeah, that's great. And I, one of the things that comes to mind as we're talking about these things is that I guess there can be at times a danger in um, our theological method of pulling Bible verses out of their contexts to use them just for making simple points that on the surface they seem to make. But actually, we've got to read all of these texts within their broader contexts and do the good biblical exegesis first, uh, as good systematic theologians do. Um, so as we talk about Hebrews, as we talk about Ephesians, as we talk about Mark 4, each of these passages, they're not just bald statements that come free of context. Uh, they all have a function within the context of the books within which they're written. Uh, and we've got to account for that in understanding what they mean individually and then bring them together in our system. Yeah, that's right. And it's it can be helpful to think of this as a kind of a backwards and forth. It's not sort of a, you know, a one-way train. Mm. Um, we read the Bible and then we look at some of the bigger context. We go back to the initial verse. Yeah. Okay, what does that mean in light of that? Uh, we zoom out a little bit. Okay, but how does that go together with this bit mm. of the Old Testament? Mm. We come back and read it again. Does that help me to understand a little bit better? Let's think about the big context of God's plans. How do I kind of fit it together with all of that? Okay, that seems to make sense. I'll come back and I'll read it again. What does that say to me now? Have I made better sense mm. of it? And we're always going kind of backwards yeah. and forwards like this. And uh, God willing, by the power of the Spirit, we are growing in our understanding as we do. So we don't just sort of you know, read and then, okay, that's, that's good. I understand. Chuck that understanding in the bank. Uh, it's this kind of ongoing mm. process, backwards and mm. forwards, mm. with the Spirit's help. Yeah, nice. Uh, launching off the back of Mark 4, perhaps, there's a question here that brings up the language of bearing fruit, like that fourth soil bears fruit. And someone's asked, can those who are not called or the elect, but they identify as Christians, they perhaps have this temporary faith, can they bear fruit? Can they exhibit characteristics that you know Christians should exhibit, uh, but then fall away down the track? Uh, certainly, yeah. Certainly, yes. Um, so, you know, we get all kinds of um, suggestions of this kind of thing. Uh, so, you know, in Philippians uh, 1, Paul talks about people who are preaching Christ out of sort of envy and resentment. Um, so they're preaching the gospel. Mm. That's mm. good. <laughs> are they on Team Jesus? Um, perhaps. Maybe hard to tell. It doesn't yeah. sound like it, yeah. though. Um, but they're preaching the gospel. And Paul is, seems to be pretty fine. If someone comes to Jesus through, you know, these guys <laughs> preaching away, he sort of says, well, that's good. Mm. Jesus is glorified. Mm. Fantastic. Christ is preached. That's what counts. Um, so uh, we also read, you know, in, um, in 1 John chapter 2 about people who have been members of a church community but then have gone out from mm. that church community. And John says, well, that's actually because they were never really a part mm. of us. They went mm. out from us because they weren't, they didn't really belong to us. And the fact that they went out, that they left us, mm. is actually what shows you that mm. though they appeared to be apparently part of God's people, in fact, they weren't. Um, and so 
Certainly. Yeah, you can. Uh, we, we oughtn't to be surprised if someone who has apparently shown all kinds of uh, fruit in their lives, you know, they've, they've gone to church, they've sung, they've prayed, they've evangelized. People have even become converted through them. Uh, if, that, uh, if that disappears, uh, we oughtn't to think, oh no, a Christian has fallen away. We, the Bible gives us resources for thinking about that actually in different kinds of ways. Mm. Is this somebody with, with apparent faith um, who has now shown their true colours by walking away? Uh, or I think the other way that the Bible encourages us, us or, or opens up for us to think about this is, is this a true brother, true sister, who has backslidden terribly, is wandering in error and actually needs someone to call them back mm. to, uh, back to the, the Lord's straight path? Mm. yeah great great uh application question for you peter how do we lovingly comfort christian friends whose adult children have walked away from christ we could broaden that question i'm sure it doesn't necessarily have to be about adult children but that is a particularly painful story for many Mm. Um, but yeah we we know people who friends that they love family members they love have walked away from christ what do we say? What do we do? Yeah, I mean, it is very painful, isn't it? Because if the Lord has uh, done a work in our heart, then what we want for our kids more than anything mm. else, you know, more for them to be, more than we want for them to be successful and healthy and happy, uh, we want for them to know and love the Lord mm. above any other thing. And mm. if that's not what happens or seems not to be happening, that's just really heartbreaking. Yeah. And uh, so what can we, what can we think and what can we say? Uh, you know, I think we've we've been talking a little bit about um, a framework for thinking about these things. We might understand uh, these people who've walked away as people who've apparently had a faith, but then shown themselves you know, not in fact to have had a true faith, uh, or as people who, uh, though genuine believers, have fallen into serious um, error and sin, mm. need to be called back. Mm. Um, I think for Actually, in both cases, the the remedy is nearly the same. Of course, to pray for that child, uh, that adult child, even. Um, If salvation is the Lord's work, then call on him to do his work. Uh, To pray for them and to share the gospel with them. To, you know, the, the... one who has never truly come to Jesus in repentance and faith needs to hear that that's what they need mm. to do. Yeah. Uh, the one who's uh, living in, in a desperate contradiction of their true self in Christ needs to hear the call mm. to return to him in mm. repentance and mm. faith. The res- prescription is the same for both the gospel. Um, and I would say take a leaf out of the, out of the book of Hebrews, uh, where this is exactly what you know, he's trying to do, trying to warn people away from apostasy and from turning away from God. And uh, there are big, strong promises and there are big, scary warnings. Mm. And, and it might be appropriate, sensitively, wisely, but firmly to, to do both of those things. Um, so uh, I think encouraging um, our friends to be doing that, to be praying, praying with them for their kids and uh, encouraging them to be sharing the gospel uh, as best they can uh, with them and, and, and praying about the results. Yeah. Thanks, Peter. It's 
it's such a hard journey to walk and we pray and long that God uh, seeks out and draws back those who have wandered. Um, and I'm always encouraged when I hear stories of those prayers being answered affirmatively. Uh, and I grieve when I hear stories of that not happening. Um, it reminds me that uh, Christ is our first and true love uh, and in the midst of all our hopes for our children um, Christ stays the same and he is secure and he is firm and he is unchanging uh, and whatever he does or doesn't do for and in our children he is still good and there's a bit of a faith battle to cling to knowing that when things don't unfold for our kids as we might want them to, um, or as for anyone that we love. Mm. But we need to keep coming back and knowing the goodness of the Lord, uh, whatever the circumstances around. Peter, we've been thinking theologically. Um, we've talked about some theologians. Our final question uh, just asks about the practice of theology, I guess. Will there be any more theologians to come? Have we investigated all the truths of the Bible? Job done, stamp, all over. Yeah, well, if you go to your theology section you know, at the, uh, the local theological library, you'll, you'll see that it's pretty full. So plenty of books have been written. Mm. Uh, and we've had plenty of theologians. Um, have we investigated all the truths of the Bible? In a sense, in a sense, yes. Um, there's a, a very large theological tradition that's investigated uh, all kinds of things and has thought um, powerfully and deeply through the Bible. Has thought about questions um, that uh, most of us it would never occur to ask, but they've thought their way through them. Mm. Um, have all the truths of the Bible been investigated? Well, in, in some sense, in some sense, yes. I mean, there's, there's something has been written about every verse in the Bible um, and something has been written about, you know, all of the major yeah. things that yeah. the Bible talks about. Um, however, as you can probably guess, I'm looking towards saying uh, <laughs> no. Um, yeah, God, you know, God's God's truth is deep because God mm. Himself is infinitely rich. Mm. Uh, it's one of the things that theology teaches us that we uh, God is uh, mystery in Himself, um, and yet knowable to us because He reveals Himself to us in mm. in uh, in His infinite richness. Um, and so, yes, there is always theological work to do, in a sense, because there's always Christian life to live. And we're to love the Lord our God with all our heart and soul and mind. Mm. And so part of loving God with our mind is actually to think his thoughts after him. So uh, if we're living Christian lives and if we have minds and if we want to dedicate our minds with their capacities, whatever God has given us, to the Lord, then we'll be doing theology. We're all theologians. We're all theologians. That's right. Um, it's not only for the the rarefied intellectuals. Uh, if you say Jesus is God, there's a theological statement. Mm. That's, mm. Not a, that's not a Bible verse that says Jesus is God. That's a theological statement made in line with the Bible. Mm. Uh, and, you know, in, in every generation... We have to do the work of theology afresh because every generation faces its own challenges. And it's by thinking about God, thinking about 
God's work, thinking about God's world, that we get the resources uh, that God uh, we need under God uh, to live his way in our moment. So, uh, yeah, despite the great ranks of theologians who've gone before and despite, you know, our, what feels like our meager efforts in our own times, uh, we need to do the work for our time and our place mm. as best we can mm. uh, because this is a part of the life of love to God and love to neighbour. Mm. Yeah, and what a great thing it is to think about God. You know, it's not a dry, boring task. It's a wonderful, rich, beautiful, encouraging task that, as we've said at the start here, it leads us to praise God. Mm. So not thinking in a dusty room to write some dusty words, but it's thinking about a living God to then live in worship of that true and living God. Um, Yes, amen. I think it might be worth saying in connection to this, I don't actually know where St. Paul's is up to on this particular issue, but uh, often it it does need to be said that it's worth reading some older writers, that actually some of these guys that died long ago and wrote in language that's a bit hard um, can be worth the hard work of reading. Uh, So while we continue to think today, um, doesn't mean you throw out all the stuff of the past, as we've said, that still the same truth. Uh, So if that's an encouragement that you need as you listen, um, do uh, with the mind that God has given you, take it up and, and try reading some of these people that we've tapped into on the stretch night uh, who have written much and thought very deeply and we can still keep learning from. Yes, if you've ever benefited from reading the Bible with uh, an older brother or sister who's been doing it longer than you, who's lived with Jesus longer than you have, if you've ever found that reading with them, their insight has helped you to appreciate uh, what God says in his word uh, even more, uh, then that's what you get by reading theology. You have much older brothers mm. and sisters mm. who have walked the path before, had their own special insights to share with us. Mm. That's great. Peter, thanks so much for your time, not just your time for this extras episode, but all the time that you put in to preparing for the stretch nights. Uh, it was a wonderful event, wonderful series of events, and we're really thankful for your labours there and the benefit that they've been for us. Absolutely, my pleasure. Thanks be to God. Yeah. Um, You might still have questions, and that's okay. Uh, We continue to learn as Christians, so do check the show notes for some resources that you might chase up to keep reading and thinking about these things. Uh, And we look forward to seeing you at the next Stretch Night Down the Track. Bye.